next scary movie. Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Welcome to the Jumping Scared Podcast. My name's Alex, and I'm joined here today by my twin brother, Eric. We've bonded over horror movies throughout our lives, and we're here today to share that love with all of you. Welcome, Eric. How are you doing today? I am doing great, because today is our first ever episode featuring recent reviews, ratings, and recommendations. Yeah, I'm also excited. We've had some mini reviews and some kind of mini takes a little bit on some movies, but we haven't really done a review episode, so this will be fun. And uh, we actually have a couple of movies you know i've seen recently that you haven't seen and then vice versa but also some movies we've seen together so we have a nice blend of those and yeah i think that should be fun you know having the dynamic of you know i've seen some you've seen some and then seen some together so i'm excited to get started with this and uh as a warning to our listeners we're going to start off with four uh spoiler free reviews and then the three movies after that will be spoilers ahead and i'll try to uh, make sure to call that out quite loudly so you can recognize, okay, if I don't want to get totally spoiled on these movies, uh, you will, you can avoid them. Um, but starting off with our reviews set for the spoiler-free edition, I've got Aterados, which is Terrified of 2018. This is an Argentinian horror movie, so uh, Terrified is a translation of the original title Aterados. Uh, director Damien Rugna. It's sitting at a 6.7 on IMDb and an 82% on Rotten Tomatoes uh, as of today. And this one stars Maximiliano Guione and Damien Solomon as uh, Officer Funes and Neighbor Walter, who were kind of my two favorite characters, so I wanted to highlight what I thought was some great acting by both of them. So the kind of general plot synopsis of this movie is how I would describe, you know, there's a lot of haunted house horror movies. This is a bit of a haunted neighborhood situation. There's uh, kind of some paranormal things happening in a cluster of homes in the same neighborhood. And you're getting the different perspective from the different neighbors about what's kind of going on with each of them. And there's, you know, some slight different, uh, different but still paranormal things happening to all these people. But they're all kind of different situations, which is interesting. Uh, one thing I really like and appreciate in horror movies, well, in movies in general, really, is a non-linear format in terms of storytelling and you get that really early in this movie which is a lot of fun you kind of introduce some of the backstory uh piecewise but in a kind of weird time order you know it starts with the present plays for 10 minutes and then it jumps back you know a couple of days to give you more insight and i really appreciate when movies do that i think it's a lot of fun and it, it really set up a interesting and honestly like a terrifying tone because this neighborhood is under such uh, such turmoil and you know the the people really don't understand it they don't really have a means to to kind of combat anything that's happening to them because it's such a weird phenomena and uh, a couple kind of things you know like i said i'm going to avoid spoilers here there's a lot of great shots a lot of great scenes in this um and immediately i think it's got one of the most memorable scenes really early on involving uh the first couple we meet and there's a certain scene in a bathroom. This is like 10 minutes in. I'm not going to spoil what happens, but it's, uh, yeah, it's going to, it'll stay with you. It's a pretty, pretty bleak visual. So we're immediately thrust into this movie feeling, uh, you know, as uncomfortable as the people living in this neighborhood. And it really sets a tone of dread that's going to persist throughout the movie. Uh, yeah, one of my other things I like is, this might be a little bit 
of me just not liking smug people or not liking when people really think they have a grasp on something when they are overreaching. And this movie definitely features a bit of uh, experts being in over their heads. They might feel like they're really you know, knowledgeable or they know exactly what's going on, but uh, the tides turn pretty quickly on them, which I think is really, really fun, really interesting. Uh, really great practical effects here. Uh, I think it, it got nominated for quite a few and won quite a few awards for some smaller awards uh, shows based off the practical effects, and they're phenomenal. Really, really, really good. Uh, two quotes that I think were really fun. Uh, one quote was by a paranormal investigator to our lead officer Funes, and they said, don't believe everything you see tonight. And I'll just point out that might be, <laughs> might have been a bit of bad advice by the paranormal investigator. And then my other favorite quote from the movie is, fear is contagious. And uh, with that, I'll leave it at that. Uh, this is a very fun movie from 2018. In my top 10 for 2018, I'm not exactly sure where, uh, but I had to give it a rating. I'd, I'd probably say, you know, I'd say like a 7.8. I'll say 7.8. It was a very, very well done movie, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. Yeah, the those quotes you highlighted, especially fear is contagious, that can almost like be a tagline itself for a movie. Uh, so I really like that too. Um, one thing, I so I haven't seen this movie, but one thing I did kind of just look at a little bit, I am unfamiliar with any other horror movie that's come out from Argentina. I, I did a quick Google search and didn't recognize a single one. Uh, and one thing I really appreciate, especially as of late, is kind of new players entering the horror genre. Like in 2016, we saw South Korea just explode with several top 10 uh, candidate movies. And seeing more, more and more uh, foreign countries getting involved on a larger scale, at least, in the horror genre is great. Uh, I think it's 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 always interesting to kind of see regional aspects and influences as to what makes things scary. And even if it's still like, okay, it's a paranormal movie, we've seen that a bunch before, you're still going to get small little things from an Argentina movie that you won't get from a Spanish movie or an American movie. And so just getting as many players into this genre as we can is only going to make things more interesting and better as we keep on going. Oh yeah, completely agree. And I like that idea of, you know, putting your own flavor, putting your own taste on it. And each country kind of brings something new to the table. Uh, definitely agree with that. And one other thing I wanted to say too, kind of going with, you know, these new players coming to the game, it's also so beneficial is the ease of accessibility for so many of these movies. Like this movie was really big on Shudder. Like it got a lot of popularity because of Shudder. So like all these different streaming services and just ease of access to watch these movies where, 10, 15 years ago, good luck seeing foreign horror movies. I mean, even if they're being made, it's unless it's a really high, big production, you're you're most likely never seeing it. So yes, uh, yeah, we live in a good time right now. And speaking of ease of, of accessibility, this is a movie that has great accessibility for a different reason, and that reason is because it fits into more than just the horror genre. And that movie is a 2018 movie titled Overlord. It's directed by Julius Avery. It's currently sitting at a 6.8 IMDb score and an 81% on Rotten Tomatoes. The stars are uh, Jovana Depo as Boyce, Mathilde Olivier as Chloe, and Pilo Osbeck as Waffner. And the uh, basic premise is that 
You've got a small group of American soldiers who find horror behind enemy lines on the eve of D-Day. So this is a uh, historical fiction movie, which uh, doesn't necessarily lend too much credence to the idea that it could be a horror movie. Um, but um, as you can probably imagine from being a fan of the genre, you can't necessarily judge a book by its cover. And this movie does that well. So it, it to me, I, if I had to classify it in the genre, I'd probably say action, adventure, horror in that order, um, which isn't a bad thing. It, you don't you don't need to get hung up on being a purist and whether or not something is strictly horror. This is a good movie that basically anybody can enjoy, including um, non-horror fans and especially including horror fans. Um, the reason I really I wanted to talk about this movie is the opening scene is just incredible. So I, I guess I can talk about this. It's going to be a spoiler, but it's only three or four minutes into the scene or the movie. So it's not like, <laughs> I mean, if you're giving up on that, then sorry. So basically the, I, the movie opens uh, with a troop who is on a plane and they are getting ready to parachute into Germany. Uh, German-occupied France, so on the eve of D-Day, and they are forced to uh, jump out of their plane during an active firefight at night, and it is just absolutely intense. It gets your emotions and tensions high. The brief character interactions is kind of a classic military background where there's a mix of people kind of shooting the shit, making fun of other people, and then you've got the people who are just hunkering down really trying to mentally prepare for what what they're going to be faced with. Uh, so just that opening scene is shot so well. Um, one of the better parts of this movie, I'd say, is that they rely heavily on practical effects as a, compared to CGI, uh, which is always a nice trend, especially if you can uh, do it pretty well, which I would definitely argue this movie does. And without getting too spoilerly um okay i won't even say that because it gets too spoilerly but uh, <laughs> I appreciate it. A, a fun a fun fact about this movie is that uh as some trailers and some information was getting released about it there was actually initial speculation that it could be a part of the cloverfield universe but mm, okay uh jj abrams said no sir no sir and uh if we're judging by any of the later Cloverfield installments, then that may be a good thing. Uh, quick side note. I, I read some speculation on 10 Cloverfield Lane that it was going to be a standalone movie, but then the producers or director or someone involved essentially worked its way to make it part of the Cloverfield universe to essentially increase the increase the hype around it or make it kind of, you know, initially sell more. Do you know if there's any credence to that? Yeah, there is credence, and there's actually credence to that and to the Cloverfield Paradox as well. It was initially an, an untitled movie that Cl the Cloverfield universe acquired and transitioned and altered into being a Cloverfield movie. I kind of so, hate that. <laughs> yeah, that, that I, I mean, there's some people really like that movie, and other people are right that it's terrible. So um, <laughs> which side of history will you fall on? 
I mean, I think you should fall on the right side. That's that's just my opinion. Yeah. Um, Without, I don't want to de- derail this into a Cloverfield conversation, <laughs> yeah. but it's a it's a kind of silly practice, I think. Yeah. Just just wrapping up Overlord here. Personally, I gave it a eight point two out of ten. So okay. falling Pretty a decent price. amount higher than the IMDb average, but kind of in line with that eighty one percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, IMDb kind of sucks for horror movies. You got to take everything with a big grain of salt. Uh, and even i mean like we did our first or second episode the i ranking the movies based on imdb review that or imdb rating it was just uh it was a crapshoot so okay moving forward we've got our third movie on the list and that's going to be before i wake from director mike flanagan this is originally from 2016 but kind of fun fact it was slated for wide release in uh, september of 2016 until the domestic distributor in the United States had to file for bankruptcy, which initially left the fate of the film unknown, but then the film was later acquired by Netflix. So it uh, released in like 2018, I believe, on Netflix for US goers. And so it's from 2016, but you might see 2018 other places. So kind of a little fun fact. Um, yeah, so this is from Mike Flanagan. You, you know him from Haunting a Hill House, Gerald's Game, Hush, you know, a slew of other pretty good movies. And he's quickly becoming one of my uh, go-to horror directors. You know, if I if he comes out with a new project, I'm going to be really interested in it because I've liked so much of his uh, previous catalog. And that's got me really excited for 2018's Doctor Sleep because he's working on it and he's shown that he's uh, done good work with Stephen King uh, material with Gerald's Game before, so I'm excited for that. Before I Wake... A 6.2 on IMDb, 60% on Rotten Tomatoes, so I'd say lukewarm reception. Uh, not great, not terrible. This is starring Kate Bosworth and Tom Jane, who play a married couple, and then Jacob Tremblay, who is a uh, a boy who they end up fostering. So, uh, yeah, he's a not their actual child, but a boy they end up fostering. To me, this movie was really compelling because you have this really intensely emotional portrayal of a family dealing with grief, and without this, I don't think this is a spoiler because it, you know you're made aware of it really quickly. The the movie opens pretty much with uh, Kate Bosworth and Tom Jane already in grief and already struggling with grief because their son had died previously, so before the movie even started. And so then they foster this boy to uh, kind of help deal with that hole that has been created in their in their world. Uh, there's also a Really fantastic blend of uh, intrigue about the unknown, juxtaposed with horror of the unknown in this film. You get uh, some really, not only great visuals with that, but also just great kind of mentality. You know, you have some stuff that isn't really logical that starts happening once the the boy becomes fostered by these parents. Um, And at, at first, they're really intrigued by it until, you know, some of the stuff becomes a bit not as i say not as pleasant for them it starts off being very uh enjoyable and very new and nice for them but then there's uh some holes in the fabric that start being torn open and it goes from intrigue into kind of terror and uncomfortable uh uncomfortableness so this is a this is definitely a, a fun movie i enjoyed it probably not my favorite mike flanagan well definitely not my favorite from mike flanagan but i think it was solid i definitely have it rated above the IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes it has listed right now I'd say probably like a 7.0 so definitely a recommend from me and uh, I'll also say without uh, getting into too many spoilers I think the it's probably pretty heavily CGI I don't think there was very many practical effects but I liked the CGI and I liked the design of some of the creepier elements from this movie 
I think I think we can't bring up uh, Mike Flanagan and not at least mention that just yesterday, Haunting of or two days ago, Haunting of Hill House was uh, officially renewed for a second season. It is going to be yes. anthology yes, yes, yes. and completely new actors, new story, and just from fans of the genre, getting getting a renewal for such a successful season of a series uh, after being. It's it's hard it's hard to find good media in that realm. I mean, we've got our biggest shows are if you can consider The Walking Dead, which I won't do another another rant on The Walking Dead. <laughs> but if you can consider that horror, if you can consider American Horror Story, there's a lot of inconsistency, a lot of not great stuff. So seeing a show that emerged and kind of universally loved get renewed is always always wonderful. Yeah, and I, I mean, for me, I definitely haven't seen so much horror TV series, but I mean, bar, I just so there was such a distinct gap for me in quality from uh, Haunting of Hill House versus anything else I've seen, and you know, I just loved it. And like I said, you know, Mike Flanagan's becoming like my trusted horror director, so I'm excited that there's a second season for sure, and I'm excited to check out future projects from him. Yes, and if there's if there's one show I can touch on really quick that deserves a little bit more popularity and a little bit more esteem in the horror uh, horror genre, it's definitely Hannibal, uh, the, the series regarding uh, Hannibal Lecter, and because they, they do a fantastic job with that. Heard great things, but also never seen it. Alrighty, the uh, next movie we've got here is titled What Keeps You Alive? It was directed by Colin Minahan, who, interestingly enough, uh, actually directed Grave Encounters. It was, Which, uh, not so loved by you, am I correct, Eric? <laughs> yeah, it was when he was working with Stuart Ortiz, and they called themselves the Vicious Brothers, which oh, just, ab- <laughs> just about makes perfect sense for a travesty of a movie that was Grave Encounters. Vicious Boys! Yeah, no. So I was I was interested to see that because I didn't recognize the names so I was going back through his filmography and I'm like, "Oh, this will be a fun talking point." <laughs> but uh so it's a uh currently sitting at 5.8 IMDb score, 81% on Rotten Tomatoes. It stars Hannah Emily Anderson and Brittany Allen. Uh so interestingly enough, they actually both appeared in the new Jigsaw movie and except for they didn't share any screen time. And Hannah herself is kind of turning into a modern-day Scream Queen. She's been in this, The Purge, and Jigsaw, and she's got a couple small other credits to her name. So kind of be on the lookout for her to pop up in some 2019-2020 movies. Uh, the trend follows suit. So the basic idea for this movie, uh, there are some majestic mountains, a still lake, and venomous betrayals engulfing a female married couple attempting to celebrate their one-year anniversary. So the best the best thing I can do for this movie, I think, is try to uh, describe it by comparing it to a couple other movies. Um, and the way I tried to do that was, it basically feels like Honeymoon with Rose Leslie mixed with Creep with Mark Duplass. Was just like a little bit of sprinkling of funny games, um, so that's kind of a kind of an intense description, and also yeah, kind and of, it's a very interesting blend of movies. So it, I would be uh, very interested in that. And it's it's pretty obscure. None of those movies are big themselves, besides maybe arguably Funny Games. So if you haven't seen any of those, I'd say I'd recommend all three of those. Oh yeah, yeah. I definitely would too. 
But uh, if, if you want to, if you really want to see if you want to watch this movie, then watch all three of them and then come back to my description and be like, um, Eric, it's what are you talking about? It's a blend of all three of these. So you know exactly what you're getting. Yeah. Um, so what, one, one cool thing about this movie is very small cast. Pretty much the entire dialogue and plot revolves around the married couple themselves. I think we get two other characters who even have lines in the movie which is always it's always interesting to kind of see that because if the characters aren't done well then obviously the movie's a flop but i think that they're done pretty well here um this movie is it's up and down it's pretty fast paced mixed with bouts of bouts of uh tension building um it's hard to kind of predict where it's going some of the time which is good but I don't know. It's 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 a it's a good watch. I'd say the IMDb rating isn't far off. I gave it about a six and a half, so lower than a couple of the movies we've already discussed. But if you've seen Honeymoon Creep and Funny Games, and you think, okay, I wanna I wanna go for more of that vibe, then I think you'll probably be pretty satisfied with this type of movie. Okay. And uh, Eric, I'll just ask you real quick then, for the two reviews I gave, did either one tickle your fancy a little bit more between Aterrados and uh, Before I Wake? You know, prop. well, I think probably both uh, for different reasons, but for I feel like for some reason I just haven't seen a good paranormal movie in a while, so uh, Aterrados definitely fits that bill, but I also really like Flanagan, so... Um, for different reasons. I mean, I watch so much. It's not like I'm in the position to be turning horror movies away. <laughs> so, <laughs> Sure. Okay. Um, so you feel pretty good about uh, those reviews there? Uh, I feel good about the ones I did because I know I watched them and did an honorable job at rating them, but I can't really speak for yourself. All right. <laughs> so that being said, I feel pretty good as well. But I just wanted to take a quick pause and alert our viewers. We're going into spoiler territory now. So those are our first four reviews, but our next three, we're going to kind of include spoilers for the movie. So if you have not seen, the three movies we're going to do are we're going to start with The Clove Hitch Killer from 2018. We're going to move on to Summer of 84 from 2018. And then we're going to end off with Cam, also from 2018. So if you haven't seen these movies... I recommend checking them out and then jumping back into the podcast. You can hear what we thought about them. Uh, if you're you're just like, yeah, I'm just interested in hearing what you have to say, yeah, feel free to stay. And if you've seen them, then definitely stay and listen to what we have to say. And if you have any other thoughts or opinions, you, we got our plug at the end for Twitter and Gmail. So we are just going to jump right into these reviews. Yeah, you, you ready for that, Eric? Yes, sir. Okay, so starting with The Clove Hitch Killer from 2018. This is coming uh, to us from um, director Duncan Skiles, who didn't have a whole lot of anything to his name as a director. This is kind of like his big uh, foray into directing, especially horror. So uh, it's pretty exciting to have a bit of a newcomer into the into the game. It's sitting at a 6.6 on IMDb, 74% on Rotten Tomatoes, and starring Dylan McDermott as uh, Don, who plays the father of the kind of main family who, who... are our protagonists and uh, Charlie Plummer as his son Tyler. So, very cookie cutter synopsis for this movie: A picture perfect family is shattered when the work of a serial killer hits too close to home. Dylan McDermott stars in this chilling portrait of all American evil. Uh, Eric, you want to take us off with some of the influences for this movie? Uh, sure thing. So, uh, well, first of all, I, I'm going to say this, and maybe it'll make you mad, uh, but. <laughs> After watching this movie and kind of like trying to think about how I wanted to review it, I couldn't stop thinking about how uh, 
the father reminded me of Eugene Levy from American Pie. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> uh, which his performance doesn't portray that, but like a little bit of his mannerisms, he doesn't look terribly far off from that. And so I, I just got that stuck in my head and it makes me chuckle. Uh, so Dylan I, McDermott purpose, purposefully though was playing a goofy dad. Like he, he really was up, upping that goof factor on purpose. Yes. Yes, he was. Um, so I'm, I guess we could talk about this at any point, but it's this is a character who is the the main villain in this movie is heavily based on the BTK killer, um, an intense fascination with everything about women, women's clothes, women's shoes, uh, just and also like a normal. He, I mean, the BTK killer was like a normal. Like he had a wife. He had. Uh, a bit of a you know kind of like a family but and then this like kind of secret comes out right is that similar yeah it's it's very similar basically the the bad guy in this movie is a, I wouldn't say a carbon copy but pretty darn close to what the BTK killer was and interestingly enough there's a couple couple avenues that the BTK killer is being fleshed out in so like the Klovich killer is covering him season one of Mindhunter if anybody has seen that and they weren't they weren't sure what those cuts were to the uh the character who seemingly was like gearing up to become a serial killer that was yeah I uh, believe he was a security like worked for a security company like an ADT kind of thing yeah that was also uh implied to be the uh, BTK killer. And I don't know if that season two has been picked up, but it's coming out pretty soon, I think actually. So expect in season two uh, for, I'd reckon the BTK killer to start making some, uh, making some kills. But anyway, um, basically this movie plays out, I think in a good way, it's based on a heavily Christian family. And if I'm being honest, I feel like it's kind of giving you a vibe where raising somebody in this environment can almost lead them to be like a sociopath. Like the, 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 the boy, the main boy, he's instantly humiliated by his girlfriend and kind of ostracized by his, his friend group. Uh, he's got very strict parents. He's got parents that kind of instill awkward relationship statuses for him. So like if you were given that and then as if things were to progress, you'd be like, okay, this could be an origin story <laughs> for a killer, but that's, mm-hmm. that's not what happens. Um, and I really like when movies do this in a good way and they kind of, so you get like an ostracized person and they meet up with another ostracized person and they become like a dynamic duo. That's kind of how things work. Like two, two damages, damaged halves make a whole. Mm-hmm. And the uh, the two main children in this movie do that to a good extent, and uh, as an attempt to kind of figure out more about this um, off media covered uh, beat or uh, sorry not BTK Clovich killer, and yeah, and and so the the idea with this movie is that <clears throat> it takes place in a town I think about ten years after the essentially reign of this killer who had killed multiple confirmed people all women. And the clove hitch killer, the name comes from, he would always use a signature knot. Uh, he was really into bondage and he would always tie the women up and he would use a clove hitch knot, which I think that's a really, I mean, it seems weird for me to say, oh, it's a great name for a serial killer. But honestly, I think it's a really good, like it is a really interesting name and I think it's pretty cool. It's something that you could probably see realistically happening in real life. And the, the movie kind of just moves forward where, uh, 
Charlie Plummer, who plays Tyler, Tyler starts to kind of find information that are suggesting that his dad either has knowledge or is directly involved with these killer these killings, even though it's been a long time now since there's been a confirmed kill. And so the, the movie kind of plays out where Tyler and his friend, this girl, who is also ostracized, like Eric mentioned, are then kind of working together almost to either con- confirm or just track down evidence that, yeah, this my father actually is this person. And so that's essentially how the movie plays out. And it's very... Uh, very tense. You have a lot of complex, uh, kind of a complex relationship between Tyler and Don, who's the father. As you know, the, Tyler's feeling a lot of, you know, kind of str- like internal strife where he has this connection to his father. Like, you know, this has been my father my entire entire life. So he has all this uh, strong desire to, you know, be close to his family and, and trust in his family. But then there's so much evidence that's hitting him in the face that he has this other kind of obligation that to do the right thing and acknowledge this is happening and i have to stand up to it and i think that was a really interesting and compelling part of the movie for me yeah it puts puts you kind of in like a introspective spot of okay you're faced with like this reality that completely crushes what you've grown up with is that you're the dad the person you kind of trust the most uh, is seemingly this dark and absolutely heinous person and i um so a couple of years ago, I accidentally picked a book on tape that covers a similar topic. It ended up being more of a romance novel, but based on the description, <laughs> it was, uh, I remember it was, this. Yeah. It was like a mystery. It was, uh, it's called the obsession by Nora Roberts. And basically it starts with a six or seven year old girl discovering that her father's got like this torture room in the woods off their house. And she's only six or seven, and she is able to es- escort a current victim to the police and get her uh, father locked up. Unfortunately, uh, Charlie Plummer, uh, who plays the son, is uh, a little bit green around the gills when it comes to uh, really taking over the reins, unfortunately. But uh, that's not to say he's successful or unsuccessful. I guess if we're going to spoil it, we could say whether or not he plays out, but I guess we can leave it at that if you want to see the movie and kind of figure out what goes on. I will say though, my my absolute favorite moment of the film, and it, it was kind of a collection of moments, but it was really emphasized later in the film. There's a big confrontation between Tyler and Don, where essentially this, the you know, the, the insinuations, the, the idea that he is this killer is that is really confirmed to tyler and tyler knows uh don knows he knows there's kind of no disputing at this point but then you immediately just see just cool calculation from don like he's still just you know saying anything he can but calmly and rationally so this is like the sociopathy just coming through and i think it's a phenomenal performance by dylan mcdermott because it's the father just manipulating and continuing to lie to his son continuing to manipulate to the point where you know, Tyler is needing to be defending himself. So he has a gun, whereas Don is undefended. You know, he has nothing, uh, not no sort of weapon. And he talks Tyler down because Tyler is so scared and so unbelieving that my father could be capable of this. And he talks the gun away from him. And as soon as he has the gun, just you can see like sociopath as, you know, Tyler gives the gun away for free. And then you can clearly see Don immediately just being ready to use it on his son. And that's... That, I, I keep thinking about that scene, that inter, inter, interchange between them there, and it just it make like I, I think after the movie we were both kind of meh because of the ending. We felt a little let down, but the more I think about that scene, 
the the confrontation putting them to man that was just great for me i really really liked it okay i'm gonna have to disagree a little bit just because I, I I understand Tyler's in a tough spot and it's hard to ask any child to like be able to be 100% strong in this instant. But one of the reasons uh, the father tried to like justify what was going on. So basically during this scene, what we haven't mentioned is that there's a, a woman with a plastic bag over her head in the room and the father tries to uh, play this off as if it's an affair that their mother knows about. <laughs> and he says, if you They're stop kinky. me now or you shoot me now, what would you do to your mother and your sister? And it's just like, dude, you've got a woman with a plastic bag on her that, head. That's what very I'm saying. That's why I, I, that you're seeing the sociopathy and the, the just complete manipulation from a father to a son that you're. I, that just I, I thought that was so interesting and so well done. But I, thought, I mean, I really liked it. I think it'd be OK. But if it were not for the fact that he'd already been confronted like halfway through the movie and he convinced Tyler that it was actually uh, his uncle and that he was just protecting his uncle. Like, oh, yeah, you found all these pictures. I'm sorry, son. I'm sorry I hid this from you. It was actually your uncle. It's like uh, fool me once, shame on me. Well, but that's the fool thing. That's, me I twice. Think you're seeing more of the sociopathy that a serial killer would have, and I think that was interesting. That he he's so manipulative. That's just what he does. He he continues to lie to his son. He continues to just be a terrible father. Even um, but he has the guise of being a good father and being caring and understanding. And so I just that uh, the kind of the 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 change just so quickly back and forth between those. I, I especially in this kind of really pivotal scene, I just loved. See, I I can't I I I can see that, but I can't completely separate the fact that Tyler was soft, and he, I just I just feel like, <laughs> I, like I, what is he? He's playing a fourteen year old or so in this movie. Like and you, it's at your father, and the father clearly has a good relationship with him. I get it. It's, it's, I get it. There's, but he he knows at that point that his father has killed fifteen people. Like what? At there, some there's point, a part you of him that doesn't want to believe it, though. There's a part of him that doesn't want to believe it, and he he still is still it's still his father. I I don't think that's unbelievable. There's a part of me that wants to believe that the lions aren't going to break my heart, Alex. That doesn't make me a good person. <laughs> when I watch them week one. So I, I I just disagree, I guess, because I I honestly loved that. I loved how uh, Dylan McDermott played the the father in that situation, and I, I mean for sure, I just it made me feel the ending. I still didn't love, but that that was kind of the um, the climax, and I just honestly I love the climax. So okay, let me let me compare this back to our last podcast. Uh, so I imagine this kind of being like the uh, the scene in the thing when they're testing the blood. And somebody's blood just like exploded and you have that vial and you're looking at him and he's like, oh, no, that's not my blood. That's that's Charlie's blood. You know me. Those are grown men who are colleagues. Those are grown men who are colleagues. This is a 14 year old kid, 15 year old kid and his father. It's completely different. It is, is completely, completely different. Completely different. It's completely different because, you know, this is an actual person as opposed to something that's been uh, taken over by the thing, which is, makes it even worse. I think this it. is a I think this is a terrible <laughs> comparison. I'm just I'm just trying to I'm just trying to give it a little bit of little bit of criticism. And I, I don't think I'm being unfair. And I'm just I'm just providing an alternative perspective because I don't think it it did uh, it didn't detract anything from for me. I in any if anything I just I thought it was even more compelling to see him uh, you know see Charlie Plummer still 
even at this point, still struggling with that internal struggle between doing the right thing, doing the thing he knows is right, but still it's his father. Like I, I just, I can't get over that, how well I think they, they really portrayed that struggle. Okay. So I, I'm, I'm, I, okay. I'm disagreeing because I think we have to talk about the end then. If, are you going to still defend the end and defend that he's still just a kid trying to protect his father? No, but at the end he's trying to essentially protect his mother and sister. As opposed to, no, what he's trying to do is he's trying to improve the quality of his life at the, um, at the consequences of not helping every victim of the Klovich killer. So basically, I I didn't love the end. And so the end, the end pretty much goes after this confrontation, you know, uh, Charlie Plummer gets an assist from his friend and they overpower the dad and then take him out into the woods and essentially stage a suicide. Yeah. And he, uh, they say nothing about the killings. Uh, Tyler even gives a eulogy for his father and he's like, if you're out there, dad, I love you. I, I don't know. It's a weird sentiment to me to leave, leave one of the biggest serial killers in the history of the country, just dead in the woods and no explanation that he was the one there's. So you've, I don't know. I guess most people thought that the Klovich killer was wrapped up his killings anyway, but so that's, I almost think it's, do you think it's in a way it would be better for victims to not know at that point? Do you think it helps to stir it up 10 years after the fact and say, oh, this person is dead now and he was the Klovich killer? Do you think that helps? It depends. I mean, are we, if, we're, if we're acting under the assumption that everybody thought he was done, I mean, the girl who's, uh, who's helping Tyler, she, he knew or she knew he wasn't done. So it's, well, she, I mean, because she believed her mother to be a victim of the Klovich killer that wasn't actually confirmed by the police. Which... And, and we've, we've only got a, a very small perspective on this, uh, this community. There's, I mean, there's a decent chance there's other people out there like that. I mean, it's, yeah, it's hard it's to possible. say. So, so, and I'm not defending the ending cause I still, I didn't love the ending, but I get the idea of why uh plumber did what he did. So um, the ending did let me down a little bit. I don't think it was perfect, but it didn't, kill it for me like it didn't ruin it for me i'll say i agree i think i think up until the ending it it, it knocked some rating points off for me but it didn't kill it okay so uh do you want to just go ahead and do rating then yeah i ended up giving this just under a seven about a 6.8 uh it was really well acted um some of yeah, the stuff I, that i, I, I think dylan mcdermott I think Dylan McDermott, I mean, probably not like Academy nods or something, but I think he should get a lot of props for his, his performance. Yes. His, um, uh, his, uh, second take on Eugene Levy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm definitely higher than a 6.8. I was kind of thinking about it. I don't think I'm above an eight because there still were some problems, especially kind of towards the end. Uh, but I think I'm right around like a 7.7 or so. So yeah, definitely enjoyed. And I would recommend checking out. Well, I mean, we just really spoiled the plot, <laughs> but uh, if you, I mean, uh, yeah, I would still, uh, you know, if you're, if you're into newer movies, this is a good one to knock out from 2018. And even though we talked about the plot, we, it's, we can't really do justice to the acting performances. So if you want to see those, you're still yeah, worth all, it. Like I said, all props to, uh, all props to Dylan McDermott. He, he was great. So. All righty. Uh, next movie we've got is the summer of 84, which is another 2018 movie. It stars Francois Simard, Amuk Whistle and Johan Carl Whistle. Those are uh, directors. (laughs) Yes. Sorry. Uh, they all previously worked together on turbo kid. 
uh, which yeah, I've... so they, they haven't they haven't done a ton of stuff, but this is like they, they had a they directed together before, so I thought that was worth noting. Yes, I've actually not seen Turbo Kid. Have you? No, it sounded interesting from the description on IMDb. It's not a it's definitely not a horror movie. It's much more of like an action thriller, but it sounded kind of fun. And they uh, I actually they read I read that they snuck some memorabilia from Turbo Kid into the clubhouse as well yep. as, as a little, little nod. Bit. Yeah, a little bit of an Easter egg. So uh, currently sitting at a 6.7 on IMDb and a 69% overall rating on Rotten Tomatoes. The cast, uh, this is a another movie that's kind of taking advantage of a new trend and employing mostly child actors. Uh, so we've got Graham Vercher, Judah Lewis, Caleb Emery, Corey Gruder-Andrew, and uh, the main... Um, main adult who's got the most screen time is rich summer who plays mackie who who is also started in mad men and i believe a couple episodes of the office yes he was pam's semi-love interest in uh season five well no season yeah four? Season well five. she's in art school season, season five, five. When she's in art uh, school. name was alex yes and uh oh go ahead sorry i was just gonna give a, i mean do you want to touch more on alex <laughs> in the office <laughs> No, I didn't. It was not my plan. Okay. <laughs> um, so the basic idea is that after suspecting that their police officer neighbor is a serial killer, a group of teenage friends spend their summer spying on him and gathering evidence. But as they get closer to, to discovering the truth, things get dangerous. And if you, yeah, So if you're hearing this description and thinking, oh, this sounds like Disturbia or, oh, this sounds like Rear Window. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's, pre- it's pretty similar for sure. Yeah. Uh, if, uh, if Disturbia and like Stranger Things had a baby, I think this is a pretty good outcome of that baby. Maybe like baby number two or something. Yeah, that's not a bad. Uh, I mean, it, to me, it felt very, very close and similar to Disturbia. Um, you, you get the, the kids observing something and adults not really buying into it and they're kind of doing it on their own. They're, you know, trying to really solve something without the help of parents. And that definitely was present in this movie. And, uh, Eric, you want to touch on a a topic that we kind of see with Clovich killer, but, uh, something about kind of seeing more fleshed out killers or serial killers in recent movies. Yeah, it's, it's a big trend, um, and so basically, I will just kind of lay out my, my theory, but first, let's talk about a bunch of recent movies that are attempting to really dive into the uh, sociopath and serial killer uh, mindset. So we've got a new movie coming out called Extremely Wicked, and that's starring Zac Efron, which is based around the life of Ted Bundy. We just recently had My Friend Dahmer, which is an interesting take It it kind of attempts to humanize Jeffrey Dahmer, which if you know anything about Jeffrey Dahmer, it seems like a very difficult task. Um, yeah, that's he's got some real messed up. That's not a fun Wikipedia page to read. We've got Mindhunter, which we already discussed. Um, Clovich, which we also already discussed. Uh, but to me, it, it almost seems like it's like a response to the slasher, slasher age of the 80s. And people kind of gravitating towards fears that can realistically confront them, um, especially like in like the modern age. We're seeing like it's easier to kind of even though we've got so much more connectivity, it's a lot easier to just blend in and kind of get lost. And I think people just kind of are scared of the evil that's hunting in daylight and just everything around them so we're really really getting this fleshed out that 
even though somebody can seem normal behind behind their uh, head, it's absolutely not normal. Yeah, I I like that idea for sure. Uh, there definitely was a bit, uh, you know, there is a bit of unrealism with a lot of traditional slasher, you know, killers, and so to kind of changed into more of a trend with serial killers, definitely a bit more realistic for people. I think that's an interesting theory. Yeah, and well, I guess we'll we'll see. I mean. It's it's hard for a horror genre to stay pretty consistent for more than a couple of years, and things change. So we'll we'll see see what comes out and see if that continues or not. But one thing that has been kind of new that no matter what for me is amazing, and that is the revival of like the '80s trope of a gang of kids just hanging out, solving mysteries, doing whatever. I don't care if it's done well, if it's done poorly, no matter what, I enjoy it. Like the go- yeah, Str- Stranger Things and and it really, really and really set the bar high too with with getting great child actors and also then building really good chemistry between them. Yeah, which is huge, and you can really feel it in the movie. Absolutely, and uh, there, it's just it just plays on it plays on your nostalgia of being being that young. We were we were young enough before people got paranoid, so our parents would let us just bike around places, and I uh, didn't have to like call. We didn't have cell phones, so we couldn't really keep in touch. We would just come home for supper. So it just it really speaks <laughs> onto that time where it's a lot more innocent, and you're just hanging out with your friends, no worries, mm-hmm. and doing. It's always like, obviously, it's good to, to never have been in a situation where you think your uh, neighbor's a, <laughs> a serial killer, but it's always like that idea of oh, we're we're kids, we're getting a group together, we can we can solve this big mystery. It's just like a, like a nostalgia play. Yeah. And, uh, kind of jumping back more into the real kind of nitty gritty of this movie. Um, you, you get the, the neighbor who's Mackie, who is a police officer and he comes off as this like really helpful, really friendly guy. And, you know, this is much to the chagrin of our main character, you know, main cast of children who really have uh, strong evidence to suggest that he's a, he's, you know, killing people and uh they see some stuff that they they can't confirm because you know they're not going to videotape it in the 80s so they're uh kind of working together and doing a lot of you know surveillance they're doing some home invasion type of stuff trying to get in to see his house and uh for a while this really just felt like a cookie cutter disturbia type movie to me uh, it honestly up until the end, it, it was like I mean I I enjoyed it because I think the cast the cast of children was pretty good, and I liked the setting. But besides that, it felt like a, a concept that had been done before, and it really wasn't doing that much for me. Like I said, I, I was I was content with it, but it wasn't groundbreaking by any means. And then I was you know this, this movie that would have been a slight recommendation to me i the ending was so great to me that i definitely would recommend it just because i loved the ending so much uh so the the ending kind of comes the kids are actually able to get into his house and find the kind of decomposing body the corpse of uh I believe it was a child too in in Mackie's basement. They call the police, call their parents, and everybody then knows this is actually true. This is actually happening. Uh, Mackie is a legitimate serial killer, but Mackie was not home. He gets away, and uh, interestingly enough, he somehow gets into the attic of the main boy's home. And I'm blanking on his name right now, but uh, he then kidnaps him and his his friend takes him out to this kind of remote uh, remote island, I believe, because they're on the coast, and I believe it's just essentially like a green, like, you know, with lots of trees, island, and 
sets them loose and plays a uh, plays a little bit of the most dangerous game with them. And the brutality and ruthlessness of him here. He's so upset. He's like, oh, you ruined my life. Like, I had this perfect and you ruined it. Like, obviously, you know, projecting a, projecting his obvious guilt onto these children who were, if anything, just doing an exemplary job of being model citizens. And then, you know, so he eventually kills the one boy, uh, which is, oh, it's always tough to see kids get murdered in horror movies. And then our main boy is left and he... Uh, Mackie catches him and then not, does not kill him, but essentially tells him, you can never feel safe again for the rest of your life. I will always keep, you know, keep tabs on you. I will always know where you are. And at any point I will come and kill you, which to tell a child that, oh, that was brutal to me. And that was just amazing. I did not see that coming. And just the, like I said, the brutality and the ruthlessness there was just, I, I loved that. Like it was a phenomenal ending to me and it just... Like that, that kid's going to be scarred emotionally, mentally scarred for ever. I mean, that's just not something you're going to forget. Yeah. This was, this was one of those rare movies where like the, the climax and the payoff, like the last 20 minutes of the movie absolutely outdid the entire build up for me. Mm-hmm. Oh uh, yeah, absolutely. And one of my favorite scenes, it's during this moment when the main characters towards the end of the movie make it into Mackie's house and so this main character, he's like a huge, huge conspiracy guy. And so he's got like news clippings all across his room. And he's especially focused on this, this serial killer. And he puts a piece together. Uh, so Mackie, has, his house was shown earlier. And he was had claimed to have like a big family, lots of cousins, but they all lived out of town. And so um, when they finally make it into the house towards the end, the main character looks at some of the pictures and you see flashes back to his room. And those pictures aren't his family, but instead they are the victims of his murders, which was a really, really cool scene for me. It really just kind of puts a, another note of perspective on absolutely how deranged this seemingly normal neighbor is that not only is he doing all of this killing, but he is actively gloating to anybody who were to see these pictures that just displaying them as trophies in his house. Yep. And, and then the main boy at that time also sees his picture, his like normal family picture on his wall. And he knows like, oh, I'm next. And so this is really what sets the fast paced kind of finale. And yeah, very, I like that as well. For me, this, uh, this is a movie that I'd recommend. I mean, I can't, I don't think I'm going to find an uh, 80s type kid movie that I'll dislike too much. But uh, I think I ended up giving this about a seven and a half, which is a little bit actually higher than both IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, I was thinking low seven just because I liked the ending so much. Like a 7.1 was kind of what I had in mind. Um, it would I honestly would have been like a five point, a mid five for me without the ending, like without how good the ending was. Because like I said, it just, it wasn't super special. The, it, it didn't really introduce anything I haven't seen before. It was, and it was, a, it was a kind of nice atmosphere. It was nicely... Like kind of a nice drop, like period piece. It felt like the '80s, but besides that, it just didn't have a ton that I was really drawn in by. But then the ending just bumped it up almost a solid two points for me. Yeah, I completely agree. Okay, and that brings us to our final movie of the day. This is Cam from 2018, directed by Daniel Goldhaber. Goldhaber, which is this is actually his first feature film, which is exciting. Like I said, new directors, you know, bringing new blood, new ideas. 
sitting at a 6.0 on IMDb, huge discrepancy here, 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, so really critically acclaimed here. Uh, that's a pretty darn impressive score for a horror movie, 94%. And a lot of that to do is with our star, Madeline Brewer, who plays our main girl, Alice, slash her online persona, Lola. So kind of the cookie cutter explanation or plot synopsis for this movie. Alice, an ambitious cam girl, wakes up one day to discover that she's been replaced on her show with an exact replica of herself. So, Eric, you want to kind of explain the premise of who Alice is, what she does, and how that relates to the movie moving forward? Sure. So this is a very modern day horror movie. Um, Most of the plot revolves around um, Alice partaking in... uh, shows in which she does on a campsite for those who don't know what a campsite is it's basically filming yourself in a sexual flirtatious nature to an audience and kind of interacting with the audience and uh, doing things like that so most of the movie revolves around alice's goal to kind of work herself up the leaderboard on the site in which she's a cam model and from yeah, the site has a very specific uh, rating system, and it's really important with because you you, get, you essentially get more viewers the higher up you are because people want to go to where more viewers are because they assume it's better. So the yeah. higher she is, the more viewers she's getting, the more money she makes, and yeah. And I I think this movie kind of paints an interesting picture of how a site like that works because no, I think they do a good job not only with like the the pettiness and the cattiness that comes with trying to like outdo other models, but also the interesting dynamic of the relationships formed with people who become like regular viewers in your room or like people who are known as really active members of the site and can kind of throw money around and earn favors with different people. Um, So it's, it's, it's kind of a, kind of a weird movie in the sense that if it's a, it's a if you're not like too familiar with the idea of like a campsite or if you're just like kind of uncomfortable by the notion then I think this movie is just going to be a good mo- movie for you because it's going to make you uncomfortable in general but yeah that definitely did it for me uh it, it felt very I felt very uncomfortable at times seeing like she was a very friendly very personable girl who's then just I don't know there's something about maybe it's just Obviously, it's her her body, her sexuality. She can do what she wants, but I still like. I felt like so uncomfortable by like the types of people who would be regulars in these rooms and how they don't view her the same way that she is viewing what she's doing herself. And it just made me feel a bit like gross, a bit yeah, just uncomfortable. I guess is the right word. So it definitely did that for me. And so this movie kind of takes off. Um, she wakes up one day and her 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 room is live. So somebody is logging into her room and she's doing a show. Uh, so she's kind of pissed off and wants to figure out who took over her room, only to uh, log in and realize it's her giving the show. And it's not like a recording that's been or not an old show that's just running as a relive. It is a brand new show, but it's her which is obviously a pretty confusing concept since she doesn't have a twin and this is something that's clearly happening that kind of can't be explained. Yeah, I mean it's a human that is identical to her doing talking, doing actions that thing like looking you know it looks like she's in her room but like her actual like bedroom or where she lives at home and but it's not her. So it's just uh yeah, it's it's very you can tell she immediately at first, you know, she thinks like someone found a girl that just looked like her and she's using her to try to sabotage her channel because like we said there's a lot of 
competition, a lot of pettiness between some of the top models. And so it could be a, she thought, you know, oh, this person is, is just out to get me. They're using somebody. And as we delve further and further, as the mystery starts kind of to unravel a bit, it's a bit more confusing a bit more deep than that uh, the more we learn the more weird it is the company who has a 24 7 tech support at first is sounding helpful but then they're like you know we no we don't i mean obviously you're you're somehow casting we can, and then you know like they're like well we can't help you at first but then it eventually becomes uh well you no longer have the correct access code so you can't even i can't confirm your identity which to her is like like a slap in the face because there's this person parading around as her, but then she can't even prove her own identity to the you know tech support. So then she's becoming essentially out of options. And this is her income. This is her source of uh, where she gets money for rent or even you know doing anything. So this is her job that she's being you know sidelined from. And uh, every day she's gone, there's this imposter, and the imposter is actually doing really well too. They're increasing her rank. She the imposter is getting a lot of tips, a lot of money, and. Uh, that's an extra, you know, frustrating too, because that was her Alice's whole whole goal was just to become a you know a higher rated model on this site, and then to see somebody else do what she was doing, and then succeeding is 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 really frustrating and difficult for her. And and up until the point in which this this figure took over, uh, Alice had kind of continually been raising the stakes on what she was willing to do on her room, and in order to kind of get her room back she has to take the stakes to a a point that's basically um as far as you can humanly go without actually uh risking death so yeah just to call it self-harm i think is a bit of a understatement yes and and there was a theme where increased like quasi quasi violence was was like really intrigue uh, or not in, interesting i guess to the viewers and so like when she still had control of her account, she was always like flirting with, you know, using a knife or being like suicidal. And because people, I don't know, some of the people on the site, you know, pay a lot for that because it's something that they're really interested in. Which again, that's something that made me really uncomfortable too. And so then this this clone of her, or this whatever this is that's you know t- taking her account, is then hyping up that even more. It's you know shooting herself in the face but it's only makeup somehow and then she's slitting her wrist or slitting her throat and so this is going on the entire time and uh the climax like eric said she uh the real lola logs in and has a live chat with the whatever the other lola is and is essentially just bashing her face into the desk and uh playing monkey see monkey do as she says and it's just uh yeah it's a really like you can just see desperation at this point and uh, the, the whole movie, Madeline Brewer was just phenomenal, who played Alice. You know, most of the movie was essentially carried by her acting, how she portrayed the emotional state she was in with the feelings of jealousy or the feelings of frustration or, you know, essentially by the end, it was really just disbelief and uncomprehension, incomprehension, really. So uh, I loved Madeline Brewer in this. Can I, uh, I've got a theory I kind of want to run by you and uh just tell me if you you could vibe with it. Tell me if you hate it, and because uh, I'm I'm curious. So this, I, I kind of just was thinking about this now, and I haven't flushed it out. So maybe it's wrong, and maybe I'm dumb. But I'm just gonna throw it out there and see what you think. So, what if what if there's this idea that once uh, so let's just imagine that this is the only site where models experience this kind of dual reality, and they have to like face that 
somebody can take over their room who is just like them, but it's not. So what if that occurs as a kind of clear-cut separation of the model almost like selling her soul? So basically she has just lost like the values she once had as like an upcoming model, and there's a clear distinction between as you come up and the point where you switch and you're no longer like keep the values, the morals, the personality you once had. And so once that switch happens, um, it doesn't matter anymore. So anybody could be doing what you're doing. And that's exactly when the, this figure can take over your room. That's an interest. That's a really interesting idea. Actually, you're saying essentially the, at a certain point to become so, top rated so well liked you have to have a certain artificial artificiality to your performance that essentially is then replaced by some sort of artificial being that can can replace it but i think is a really interesting idea i think that'd be a kind of cool commentary on maybe i mean it could probably apply to a couple different genres but especially this sex cam working uh i think that's a pretty interesting idea eric one and especially towards the end of the movie we are kind of Uh, greeted with Alice having to work through some fallout in her personal life regarding everything that's happened. So she's confronted with her family. She's confronted with several members that were uh, people in her in her room, like in real life. And she kind of realizes the things she'd been doing were basically not her or they weren't they weren't good for her already. Yeah. Yeah. And how brutal, too, was the fact that her family didn't know what her profession was. She always would say, like, something kind of vague. She's like, oh, I'm in uh, web development or I'm freelance, blah, blah, blah. But eventually her family finds out because some friends of her brother essentially are like, oh, she's a porn star. Let's show him a video. But the fact that the family finds out when it actually isn't her at that point, so she's not even camming because she can't. But that's when the family has really definitive proof because it is like a fake a fake being who's who's taking control that's a uh, extra brutal for me <laughs> yeah so this was definitely an enjoyable movie i think very cerebral and like i said very well carried by the which i would say great acting and great performance by madeline brewer so if you want to see uh honestly or if you like movies where it's you know really carried by a strong performance and it makes the movie good this is one i definitely recommend and I would probably have it, I don't know if this was my least favorite of the ones I've talked about today. No, I definitely like this more than Summer of 84, which I gave a 7.1. I'm kind of coming with this off the fly, but I, so I'd probably say like a 7.3 for me. Okay. I was I was a little bit lower than that. I was about a 6.5, um, but I mean, it's it's ratings are, are just really based on the uh, moment you see them, so that can... Yeah, that can, the mood you're in, it, it'll fluctuate, so... Well, this was a yes. uh, this was a fun exercise. We uh, we'll continue to do these uh, recent reviews, ratings, and recommendations, uh, kind of as we go. Not necessarily every episode, but it's it's good to keep keep in mind and make sure you're keeping up with recent movies or even even old movies. And so, uh, as Alex gives our plug later, if you want us to review something that you think we'd like, shoot us an email, shoot us a tweet, and also if you've seen a movie that we've talked about, tell us what you thought. We are open to interpretations and perspectives, and uh, especially if you really feel like we didn't touch on something that we should have, well, uh, let us hear about it. Yeah, thanks for saying that, Eric. And I would also like to add that 
we're not going to just focus on new movies on this show for sure. We're going to do, if we do more review episodes in the future, which we certainly plan to, we will also kind of jump back and revisit some movies we really like or movies we haven't seen before from the past. We'll uh, mix it up with the year of release. So it's not just going to be stuff from 2017 or 2018, kind of like today. Uh, it is fun to watch new movies though, like because we've said multiple times we're in such a great age of horror that we're getting a truly great number of great films, and it's really fun to be a horror fan in 2018. So we're gonna keep watching, keep reviewing, and I uh, hope you guys uh, took something away from this because you know us talking about it ourselves. I think we each get a bit of a greater appreciation for the movie just hearing what each other has to say. I hope that carried over to you as well. Thanks for tuning in to the Jumping Scared Podcast. Have any questions, comments, just want to share your horror movie opinions with us? Feel free to reach us at Jumping Scared Podcast on Twitter or by email, jumpingscared at gmail.com. See you next episode.